All right, you're now tuned in to the follow-through with Clips and Drew, the True Players Podcast, episode 194. You know what this is. The Clippers are officially in the Western Conference Finals, and I couldn't be any more happier. We're going to talk about the series moving forward to Phoenix, Brooklyn, and Milwaukee. There's a lot to cover. It's the follow-through with Clips and Drew. Drew, kick that intro music. What up, podcast world? What's up, everybody? You know what it is. You know where you're at. It is the follow-through with Clips and Drew. Episode 194. The four stands for four wins in a row. Utah, what's good? Clippers are going to the Western Conference Finals, Drew. I am so hungover, okay? I don't eat the sound of my voice even just irritates me. It is just ringing in my head. I woke up with water all over my hardwood floors this morning. I have no idea why water was on my floor. I'm assuming... I didn't have champagne, so I was just popping water bottles, Aquafina, all over my house. I don't know why there's water on the floor, Drew, but I am so excited, and I cannot wait to talk about this. Drew, what is good? What is good, man? Congratulations. What a huge win. Uh, two, I mean, honestly, the, the, the last two games, uh, five and six, were, were tremendous, tremendous performances from the Clippers. Uh, I, the only question that I have about the water is, are you sure it wasn't just vodka on the floor? Definitely because wasn't vodka. It definitely wasn't vodka. I smelt it. I got on my, my, my hands and knees and smelt it to make sure. Um, I, <laughs> I really honestly have no idea how it got on the floor. Um, we're going to talk about how I broke my protocol last night in a minute. I want to say something, though. This podcast is going to normally Drew and I do a, do a show and then we talk afterwards to decide like what we're going to call this show. But this is going to be next man up. This is for Terrence Mann. Um, this is the mantra the Clippers live by. I've preached it on our show so many different times. Last night's performance from Terrence Mann is going to go in the record books and it's probably going to go down as the most unsung hero of any of any playoffs that I can think of with what he did for us last night. And and the fact that Ty Lu went with Terrence Mann to start. Right. This is something Doc Rivers would have never done. I mean, he would have seen minutes. I don't know about starting. OK, Um that was an up and down game. Uh, it was a little, I mean, going down 25, a lot of people wrote us off. It was written off. And and listen, Jalen Rose and Jay Williams, I saw you at halftime. I saw you laughing at halftime talking about, oh, well, we're going to be in these same seats for game seven. Drew, don't think for a second that I don't have a list of people that are going to be addressed personally by me through DMs today. I have at Instagram names that I will be addressing. What we saw last night, Drew, was everything that you want from your basketball team from, I know we haven't talked since Kawhi went down and we're going to get into Kawhi in a little bit. What Paul George did in game five should be enough for people to stop, to dead everything that you've said about Paul George. The thing with our team drew is we, I've said since the beginning of the season, we have a kennel full of dogs. We got fighters, man. And when it was 25 at halftime, all I kept saying was get this to 10 and this is a numbers game. And in the NBA, you see how fast these leads can go. And if we just stick to our guns, play defense, and get the buckets that we need, it's going to work out in our favor. And instead of 10, we got it to four going into the fourth, and I knew it was a wrap. And I want to give some props really quick to the Utah Jazz. They are a great team. I've never seen a, a, a team shoot like they shoot, right? Donovan Mitchell, I know you've been hurt. Uh, you played your ass off in this series. Jordan, hot as fish grease first half. Clarkson. 
but nothing but balsamic vinegar in the second half. I see you, bro. And Royce O'Neal, I'm going to say this, dude. I'm going to say this because I'm not a fan of you anymore. I liked Royce, but he talked a lot of shit in every single one of these games. I saw all the hand gestures you were doing for Reggie Jackson saying he's small. You're blowing kisses in the first 20 seconds of the game. I see that, man. And all of Clipper Nation saw that. And look, man, this is what sports is all about. And this is what basketball is all about. Back against the wall, Clippers have shown up and showed out this entire season. We kept digging and digging and digging and chopping away. And once you dig and you think you've gone deep enough, you dig more. And that's exactly what we've done. Ty Lu, nothing but props. Look, putting Patrick Beverly in at the right times in the game when we need that energy and that defense, it was, it was perfect knowing that Luke Kennard isn't getting the shots. So get him out of there. It wasn't working. Paul George showing up again, man. Look, I, I, I could I could take over this whole pod and just keep going and talking, but you know how I feel about this, Drew. I, it was it was a moment for me last night where I, I I'm so happy, and I, I'm not joking about this. I did cry last night. I cried because I've waited so long for for this, man. Fifty years. I've waited thirty plus years just to just to sniff a Western Conference Finals. And when people doubted us with Kawhi being out, thinking that we didn't have have enough, you know, ammunition in the tank, we did it. We beat the best team in the NBA four times in a row. They hadn't lost three games in a row the whole season, let alone in the playoffs. And beating them in a hostile environment in Utah with the chance with a sold out crowd, um, it means a lot to me. And not to mention like. My first two years with the Clippers, I'm going back to 93. You know, Utah swept us my first time going to the playoffs. Utah swept us again a couple years later. And now to beat the best team in the NBA without our all-star future Hall of Famer, all-NBA Kawhi Leonard, for everybody to step up, it means a lot to me, and I know it means a lot to Clipper Nation. It, it was everything like that a Clippers clincher would be. And, and what I mean by that is like you're at home, you go down big, <laughs> you go down 20 plus points, and then you start the third quarter, 9-0 run. And you were like, okay, here we go. Now we have now we have a chance here. The Clippers have a chance. And then Utah just bounces right back, stretches it back out to 22 or whatever it was. And when that happened, I was really worried. I was because you guys you punched them in the face and they answered. And they stretched that lead back out. And I'm thinking to myself, man, this is this is gonna be a really tough road. But the defense uh, from the Clippers, I think, is going to be the unsung hero of this game. 16 turnovers for the Utah Jazz to like six for the Clippers. And it led to 31 points off of turnovers for the Clippers. Um, so I know that obviously Terrence Mann is going to get, you know, the crown for that game. And it, it will go down in history as one of the best Clipper playoff performances, I think, you know, ever. <laughs> I, think, I, don't think, I don't think you should just say Clipper, though, Drew. Talk oh, about sure. I'm talking about playoff history. Nobody would have thought a second-year guy, Terrence Mann, would show up when we needed somebody like that to show up. And I, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. Uh, but it seems like every single game, it's been somebody else, whether it's Marcus Morris, Paul George, Reggie Jackson, you know, even Pat Beverly, those two threes that he hit last night were humongous. The steals, the energy, the getting on Donovan Mitchell, like getting in his ass, it's frustrating. Sorry, continue. Yeah, I, so I mean, I, I know that you're gonna you're gonna kind of dissect the Clipper side of things. I, what I wanted to do was really kind of take a peek at the Utah stuff because um, I think there was some really really poor decisions um, by Utah by Quinn Snyder. 
leaving Rudy Gobert on the court and refusing to take him out of the game was a was a god awful decision. He was he was doing nothing. He's actually his, be, new, his new name is Rudy Nowhere. That's sorry, Nowhere. Go ahead. Right, right. So like you, you, the reason you think you leave Rudy in is like okay, Clippers are going small, so he should be able to quote unquote dominate against Batum or whoever. Like Reggie Jackson was on him a lot. And he not only didn't dominate, but had zero blocks as well. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. that. So he needed to be removed. I think Quinn Snyder decided to go down with the ship um, and just ride with his guy. And maybe that's just something that he wanted to do and, and say, you know what, I, if, if we're going to lose, then we're going to lose with, with, you know, who I think is one of our best players on the court. But he did not need to be in that game. And a lot of Terrence Mann's success was purely based on the fact that Gobert was trying to guard him and left him countless times open in the corner uh, and then also wasn't able to like contest his shots when he was getting into the paint. It was, it was more than you know the amazing play from Terrence Mann. It was just remarkable to watch Gobert be completely ineffective in this game. Uh, so Quinn Snyder, that's that's one of the worst coaching jobs I've ever seen. What we what would you have done then? You pull Rudy Gobert and put in favors, or do you match go small and keep Royce O'Neal in there, or Ingles, or have them both in at the same time? What would you do? Yeah, I I, I put in Clarkson, Conley, Mitchell, Bogdanovich, Ingles, or O'Neal. Any any version of that six players, that's who's on the court for me, uh, especially when you guys were making that run. And fine, you want to you want to get Rudy in some you know some decisive minutes. Fine, then then run some plays for him to be actually able to catch it in the paint and do something. And I, you guys were swarming him every time he caught it. He would bring it down, which is just that's like basic big man one on one shit. Don't fucking bring the ball down when you're being guarded by smaller players. That happened so many times where he got an offensive rebound or a pass, and you guys are just all on him. It was perfect. It was exactly the way that the defense worked for the Clippers was, was exactly how you could have drawn it up. I, th- I thought that was fantastic. Um, Mike Conley must have been watching the Brooklyn Nets because he's out here, you know, holding on to his hamstring, sitting in these games, and then he's, he looks over at the Nets and he goes, James Harden's out there. I think I could do that. I should be able to do that. And he did it. He was not effective in this game. I think he was hurt. I think Donovan Mitchell's performance – you know, you could see how much pain he was in. Uh, he's he's amazing. But, man, you can't really ask him to do much more. The guy is clearly hurting. He still almost put up 40 uh, and did pretty much everything that he could possibly do to win that game for his team. But it was turnovers. It was really smart trapping from the Clippers at times when he was really starting to get going. And then Jordan Clarkson has the second quarter that of, of all second quarters. And then it's just a zero after that. I mean, that was remarkable. Um, so yeah, that, you know, the game didn't go the way that it, that it should have for the jazz. I mean, especially when you have that lead, I, you know, they really should have closed that game out. And I think that was just a a lack of adjustments from Quinn Snyder to realize what was happening in the moment. And then, and then it was too late. Right. And then by by the time it got down to four points, now you're in a dogfight, and, and that lead is completely scrapped. Um, and there wasn't much else to do. And he, instead of deciding to switch it up, he just said, fuck it, we're going to keep my guys out there and we'll see if we can, you know, kind of claw back into this game. And it just didn't happen. I think it's hard to not have your defensive three-time defensive player of the year, not playing in a game six. I totally agree with you though. And for, you know, to counter which what you're saying, you know, Quinn's lack of adjustments, 
we have to praise the adjustments that Ty Lue has made. And I'm going to give Ty Lue all the flowers because a lot of people have been talking shit about him. He's 12 and one in these games, in these games, which is the best in, in, in NBA history when coaching game sixes eliminate or, you know, chances for them to win their team to win. So Ty Lue did what Doc Rivers couldn't. Right. And I think that was a big takeaway that, that, that happened for me in this game as well. Ty, Ty Lue was able to get this team over the hump. And Doc Rivers, after I don't know how many years of trying, was not able to do that. And I don't necessarily want to say that Doc, if he was the head coach of this team, couldn't have replicated that. But it did seem like this is, this is you know, the way that Ty Lue coaches is slightly different than Doc. And that's probably why you fired Doc and hired this guy. So I think, you know, looking back at that decision, which we, we, we questioned pretty heavily, whether or not it made sense to let go of, of Doc Rivers and have him be the scapegoat for what happened last year in the bubble. It's certainly paying off right now. And, 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 you, and then you look over at Doc, who's having a fucking fiasco of a time with these Atlanta Hawks. Oh, and he's he having a heart attack. Heart he can't attack. pull out a goddamn win out of his ass, even though they're up by 20, 26 points at times. And so you just look at that decision. And, you know, hindsight, of course, is 2020. But that, you know, that actually really did pay off. I think it's, it's fair to say that now. And I think, you know, being able to have the balls to let go of a very good coach and say, you know, I think we need to tweak something here and, and have it be, you know, pretty, pretty surprising move. And then now, you know, it's really paying off. I think that was, that has to be commended uh, by the Clippers uh, you know, front office. Game five for me. I mean, we got to talk about that. No Kawhi yeah. Leonard. It's, it's odd to me. And I'm going to tell you, I, I've been speaking to a couple friends within the organization. So it's been very, I guess I want to say confusing or odd that, an official statement about Kawhi's knee has not come out, right? Shams and and Woj want to talk about, you know, they fear ACL. Like, we all fear ACL, okay? Like, nobody in the Clipper organization has said anything about ACL. We've talked about knees. Uh, that game five, where Paul George pulls Ty Lue aside and says, I got us tonight. And, you know, talk about good shooting. Game five for Utah was unbelievable. And the fact that we weathered that storm... That should have been the game where they waxed us. That's in right. Utah. They should have won that game. But again, back against the wall, everybody showed up. I want to get your opinion because I it's like beating a dead horse to me. That win in game five, the Clippers and Paul George, I need nothing else from them. The fact I was going to ask you that. That was the question I was going to have for you. Like, What's the question? Ask me. Mean, well, the, the game five, did that give Paul George a pass? To where, like, for you, like, he stepped up in game six still. But it, there were some moments, especially in that first half, where it was like, uh-oh, Paul might not have it tonight. But I was going to ask you, I mean, especially when I thought the Clippers might lose, if if game five would give you, like, that would did enough for you to give Paul George a pass, even if you lost game six. He's had the pass for me, Drew. I mean, he's had the pass. I, I still think it's so funny that we're still talking about a post-game interview from three years ago where Paul jokingly says he's playoff P and that's what we're going to focus on. Like people forget that this man probably shouldn't even be playing basketball anymore after suffering one of the, the worst injuries anybody has ever had on a basketball court. That game where he broke his leg, they sent fan, they told fans to leave because they didn't want to, them to see his injury and people forget about this. And now he's playing, you know, all-star level. He put the team on his back. That game five, even if the Clippers lost the series, which we can, we could have that crutch and say, well, we didn't have Kawhi Leonard and old teams, old Clipper teams. It would have been like, oh shit, we don't have Chris Paul. It's a wrap. You know, 
what what they've done and what he did is put the team on his back and he won that game and then showed up again. The whole squad showed up again and we win game six. And now we're in the Western Conference Finals, a place we've never been. I've never been. Uh, I, I definitely think that my mentality this whole season, Drew, was if we didn't have Kawhi, for the whole series, it's one thing, right? We just got to win two games without Kawhi. Let's figure out a way to win two. And we figured it out. And we're still a pretty damn good team without Kawhi. We played with him a lot, uh, without him a lot this season, and we did perfectly fine. And so this is nothing new for us to not play with Kawhi. Now, obviously, we want Kawhi for the playoffs. So back to the injury, okay? Kawhi, if you saw Kawhi last night, he was walking around just fine. There's no brace. There's no, you know, there's he, there's no limp in his step. I personally feel, actually, I'll just let everybody know. When I, I talked to somebody within the organization last night, and the plan is to have Kawhi Leonard later in this Western Conference Finals. I think, I, I think Kawhi could have played, to be honest with you. I think Kawhi could have played because he said after game four, like, my knee feels fine. I'm going to be playing next game. Farbod, who's a writer for the Clippers, said the night before game five, hey, Kawhi's all, all systems go. He'll be playing in the game. Then all of a sudden, we wake up in the morning, there's an ACL injury, and Kawhi's done for the season. I don't think that's the fact. I think this is load management. This is this is Ty Lue, you know, buying into, okay, we can win this. We can win this series without – I'd rather have Kawhi – First of all, I'd rather have Kawhi for game seven than game five. And I'd rather have Kawhi for game three in the Western Conference Finals, knowing that there probably won't be a, a, a Chris Paul for the first two games, most likely. Right. So I'd rather have Kawhi in game three. And again, if we don't have Kawhi for the Western Conference Finals or the finals, I still think we have a team that's going to compete. And I think we still can beat Phoenix. They are a really good team. But the way we're going and the momentum we have, we got enough for these guys, Drew. What's your, what's your take on seeing Phoenix next round? Well, the Chris Paul news was just as devastating, I think, as the Kawhi news. Uh, that's the last thing that I thought was going to happen to this Suns team. And then, you know, the Chris Paul, you know, bad luck in the playoffs just rears its head again, right? He gets injured in the first game or whatever. Yeah, game one of the Lakers series but bounces back and like, okay, cool. He got over his injury hurdle. That's what, that's what all of us were thinking. Okay. He got past it, right. It didn't, it didn't cause them to lose the series. It didn't cause them to bounce out of the playoffs. Uh, and then, you know, his performance against the Nuggets, we talked about it. It was, it was unbelievable. It was, it was, it was top level Chris Paul, uh, 20, 27 year old Chris Paul again. And then now you have this COVID thing. So yeah, moving forward, I mean, the game is tomorrow. That's the crazy thing. Game one is tomorrow. Right. And that's fucked. That right. is so fucked. Like, I get the NBA is like, cool, let's go. Like, you, now you won the series. Like, you, you played, you know, 36 hours later. So, yeah, man, look, okay. I, I, there's a lot of optimism, of course, from the Clippers fans that Kawhi is going to be out there. I have no way to know, just like anything that happens with Kawhi, whether or not he can play or whether he is hampering some sort of ACL injury and, and is not going to play until next season. There's no way for us to know. And, of course, it makes a lot of sense for the Clippers to keep that information close to the vest. It does not make sense for them to say, he's out for the year right now. Like, it doesn't. So, I think certainly the fact that Chris Paul should be out for at least game one and probably game two should definitely give the Clippers a lot of hope that they can weather that storm without Kawhi. Right. If you're going to play the way that Paul George and that Clippers group did for the last two games against a Utah team that we know is very good. They should be able to replicate that again in this Phoenix series. Now, the, 
you know, the, the crazy part is, is that Reggie Jackson and, and Morris have been your, your kind of one and, you know, one and two after, after Paul George. And the Terrence Mann game is an anomaly. That is an outlier. We cannot expect him to drop 39 points again, uh, you know, moving forward. But it can happen. So I think the realistic outlook here is like, okay, Phoenix without Chris Paul, beatable. Clippers without Kawhi, also beatable. So it is going to be very interesting because uh, the Phoenix Suns have home court. Um, Whether or not they come out with the same level of intensity, um, and I, I assume that they will, right? That's the one thing that we've been talking about. The Suns is like they play hard, uh, but maybe they come out a little, a little weirder now that they know that Chris Paul is not going to be a part of this series to start with. And then it looks like, okay, is Cameron Payne going to start? Is is Etwan <laughs> Moore going to start? Uh, so you can, so you still bring Campaign off the bench? They're a completely different team without Chris Paul, and I think. Without Chris Paul, the Suns are the Suns lose more by not having Chris Paul than the Clippers lose by not having Kawhi. I think that if you're if you're looking at Obviously. that way, that's that's how I would weigh it. I think that's the difference to, between the Clippers and every other team in the playoffs right now. Look what look KD has to put up a fifty piece just to compete without without Harden or Kyrie. You lose Giannis or Chris Middleton, the Bucks aren't winning anything. Chris Paul is a is the piece to this team. They're, that he is the reason why they are so successful. I, you know, without Chris Paul, they're extremely vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And the thing with the Clippers is we still got a Paul George and then a a bunch of these dogs that can get buckets. So this isn't me like just being pro like rah, rah Clippers. We're a different team. Obviously we're a hundred times better when Kawhi's in the lineup, but we just proved that we can beat really good teams without our main guy. So you're completely correct with the fact that Utah or Phoenix is a totally different team without Chris Paul. Cause you know what they are, Drew? They're the team from last year. You know what yeah. I mean? They're, they're, they're the, they're the bubble Ricky team. Rubio <laughs> right? without Rubio. Right. And, and we all know how talented Booker is, but look, Chris Paul is the centerpiece to that team. And the reason why they're winning games, the turnaround, you're right. Like 36 hour turnaround to start in the Western conference finals is big. I'd rather go in, you know, just beat coming off the momentum of beating the best team in the NBA and going directly into Phoenix and playing instead of having these 10 days off or however long Phoenix has had. They've had at least a week, right? They've had a week off. Yeah. D book went on vacation. It looked like he was, he was sipping wine somewhere in the deck or that was his house. I don't know what he was could doing. Be his house. He looks yeah, completely casual. Like he's not worried about anything. And there's underlying tones. Like, look, uh, the Joe Ingles, Paul George thing, that shit's deaded. It's done. We got past you, Ingles. Uh, now we got this 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 beef with – there is this underlying issue with Chris Paul and the Clippers. He definitely wants to beat the Clippers. Devin Booker – the whole Phoenix Suns team does not like the Clippers and vice versa. And Paul and, George especially. And, and Paul George especially. And um, – so there's going to there's going to be some beef going on. I'm going to see that that happening. I I do feel that like this is the series that we're going to need Boogie, right? I need something from Zubak cuz I need something from him. He's been a liability the whole series and I don't know if it's both series. I don't know if it's because you know, in the playoffs, I don't know what it is. We need size against them. We need bodies to put against Aiton. I think we're going to be seeing more of Zubak, but I'd like more of Boogie, right? I'd like more toughness, I'd like more grit and I'm going to, I'm not expecting Terrence Mann to score 30 points a game. That's not his bag. Like his 
his high was 12 this year, if I'm not mistaken, like 12 or 15 points this year. But I do expect him to be another piece to our puzzle that we're trying to figure out the energy that we're getting from Terrence Mann and Patrick Beverly and Reggie. And, you know, I can't say enough about Nico, about Nick, Nick Batum. I can't say enough. These are great pickups, man. Reggie didn't, Reggie Jackson wasn't sure he was going to play this year in the NBA. And I don't know if you knew this or the, our listeners know this, but Paul George and Reggie Jackson are best friends, literally best friends. Reggie lived with Paul George. Like they work out together. Paul had to call him this summer and be like, Hey bro, let's run it back. Let's let's come back to the squad and let's make this happen. And, and, and I'm repeating myself again. We're talking about how there, there was a point in the season drew where Ty Lue pulled Reggie aside and said like, Hey bro, you might be buried on the bench for a little while. We're going to go. We got Rondo coming in. Uh, Pat Bev is our guy right now. And then Pat Bev goes down and Reggie steps up and he's been such an integral part to our game. And I want to say something about Pat really quick. Cause I think Pat's perfectly fine. Obviously people want, he wants to be starting, but he knows that his role right now is not to be a starter. And he played but, a perfect Pat Beverly game the last two games. And I, that's what I want from him. Right. I want that from Patrick Beverly. Uh, but it's funny watching Pat because, I mean, Pat is extremely vocal, but watching him just engage, like getting in the huddles with Utah and like putting himself on the sideline to listen to what Quinn Snyder's saying. And he, it's it, I, I, Drew's laughing right now because he sees the same thing, right? Yeah, they cut Pat, to they cut to him waiting to come check into the game and he was talking shit to, to Quinn Snyder. And Quinn and, even smiled. I think did. Quinn even laughed a little bit. He did. Patrick Beverly is in everybody's ear. And it, it's so funny, but that's what we need, man. And I'm, a, I'm not going to say I'm disappointed with Rondo, but he hasn't been as big as we've expected him to be. But maybe that's just situations and not not necessarily. I think we're going to need that's another underlying issue. Rondo and Chris Paul don't like each other at all. And Patrick Beverly and Chris Paul don't get don't get along. And we got all these these side issues that are going to be so big for us. And I know being friends with a with an NBA ref, these these are going to be things that these refs are going to be watching. And, uh, you know, free throw shooting is going to be huge. I mean, we saw what happened in Philly yesterday, which we're going to talk about here in a minute. I'm expecting that this is going to be a seven game series. I really am expecting that if Chris Paul is not playing the first two games, I want to see two victories in Phoenix for you got to take at least one. Okay. Yeah. We got to take one. I agree. Got to take at least one without Chris Paul involved. Uh, and then it really, I think, I think Zubak, I would not start him. I would not start boogie. Your small ball lineup is clicking right now with Batum at the center. There's no reason to go away from that. In my opinion, of course, you know, yes, in moments, fucking get Zubak in there, get boogie in there. You know, if Aiden's wreaking havoc, and you, you guys just don't have an option. Okay, fucking throw some big bodies at him and see what's up. And I do think the Suns don't run the high pick and roll as much as Dallas and as much as Utah. Uh, so even if Zubats is in there, especially without Chris Paul, I would feel more comfortable having him guard whatever version of the pick and roll or their motion offense. I think it's a game that he can play in because they don't do a whole lot of DeAndre Ayton at the top setting a screen for Booker. I mean, they will do a lot of that when Chris is in the game, but I think without Chris – that element, you you can definitely – he won't be left on an island like he did against Luca and Donovan, right, where they're just able to cook him as soon as they, they turn that corner on the screen and he has no options. So I do think Zubak will be more playable in the games without Chris Paul and, Bo and Boogie as well. But I would not deter or, or move from this lineup that you guys have really, really cooking right now. And I do think Rondo can be influential and needs to be in, in these first two games – for, for your team, especially if Kawhi is, is potentially coming back later in the series, Rondo really can help 
set the table and, and then have Reggie be more of an offensive threat and a score um, in, 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 in the half court offense and set the table for Paul George and, and, you know, get open looks for Terrence Mann in the corners and, and things like that. He has not done it uh, thus far, but he hasn't, you haven't needed him to do it because Reggie has just been fantastic. I mean, I, He's Reggie's amazing, second bro. half, the second He's half for Reggie in that game six was very, very impressive. He was, he was just one-on-one. He's like, I got this and I'm taking it. And then of course, dude, I mean, I just keep going back to Terrence, man. I, that, that, that was just awesome. It was so awesome to watch. I couldn't help myself, but smile, man. And that's, I, 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 we talked enough about it, but like that kind of that story, Terrence's man's story is what movies are made out of. That's the shit that books are written about. Uh, that's why, you know, that's why when you, when you're a player and you don't get opportunities that come right, you know, right away, you don't get drafted in, you know, the top 10 and shit like that. You don't fucking give up. You, you keep going, you do your G league thing. You, you show the team that you're ready to play, whether it's 30 seconds or five minutes or 35 minutes and you just keep your fucking head down and grind. And I just can't say enough about that guy. I know we talked a lot about it, but okay. Yeah, but but really quick, you know, I I, I'm, I know I'm going in the bag right here, but this is something that I'm I'm adamant about is going back to Austin Rivers, having like Chris Paul and going against these guys every single day. When you have a Rondo, who is his favorite player ever, we remember that he carries his card with him everywhere. And you're playing with superstars and, and champions and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And you're playing with these guys every single day. I'm seeing it with Marcus Morris too. His whole, his whole back to the basket game has been remarkable. You know, last season, I hated it. I hate his, I hated his back to the basket game. But playing Kawhi and learning from Kawhi every single day, he, now that's one of his go-to moves. So with Terrence, you're right, man. Opportunity When opportunity presents itself, some people don't step to the rise to the occasion. But also seeing how happy the team was for Terrence, right? Even if he, he didn't play the rest of the game, as long as he had that first quarter, we would have been like, wow, he was a yeah. huge lift off the – or, you know, a huge lift for us. Instead of going for 39 points and being – the, the main focus point to our game, going at Rudy Gobert constantly. Same thing with Reggie Jackson. Look, man, if this is your defensive player of the year, like Reggie Jackson and Terrence Mann took it at your ass all day, yeah. right? And nothing – I like nothing more than seeing Rudy Gobert fail. I'm sorry. I'm not a big – me and you both are not Rudy Gobert fans at I all. I was very happy to see him get dunked on twice by, uh, you know, a, a dude that he probably doesn't even know the name of. <laughs> uh, you know, so I'm extremely happy. I want to ask you one question before we move forward. Yeah. Being that you are a Laker fan, and I'm sure there was parts of you too that wanted us to lose yesterday, because I think you did. I think a few of our friends wanted that to happen as well. Is Is in your eyes – is the Paul George shit deaded to you now? Is it dead? Is it dead? Because it's dead to me, and I think it's dead to a lot of the talking heads, which we're going to talk about here in a second as well. I, I've, I've, I've kind of been on your side with Paul George. I haven't been as critical as a lot of people, and I, I think he's a good player, man. And I, I have always taken into account the fact that he, he shattered his fucking leg and then injured both shoulders last year, and it's like, Jesus, how much more banged up can a guy get? Uh, but look, man, he the way that he stepped up in game five, that should settle a lot of things for people. And then again, you know, in game six, he had really, really huge moments, even though Terrence Mann stole the show, he almost had 30 points. And I'll give you this. I know that you said that, I, that I might have wanted you to lose. You did. I know you did. I did not. You uh, sent I me actually, that text. You, when you sent me the text, I knew I was not going to talk to you all day with your little text? smiley face emoji saying how the Clippers are 0 and 8 in these situations. I saw the I saw you tagging oh, yeah. me in that post. 
and I, I, you know, I sent that to you because it's like, fuck, like I do <laughs> it, though. it was a, it was a big moment for the, for the Clippers. And it was, it was, it was a stat that you guys were 0 and 8 in, in, uh, in Western conference finals, clinching games in the, in the history of the franchise. And it was more about the moment than it was, you know, me doubting them. Mm. I, I, here, here's, here's how I'll explain this. I placed uh, two bets last night on Paul George to go for 35, 14 and eight. Jesus drew. I thought he was going to have the Terrence Mann game. Turned out Terrence Mann did that, uh, minus you know maybe some of the assists. But uh, I had faith in the Clippers pulling this out in Game Seven. Now, had had they lost in Game Six, I would have probably taken Jazz to to finish it off in Game Seven at home. Especially, yeah, exactly. Especially seeing Conley on the floor and being like, okay, if he's this ready to play, you know, in this game, he should be better by Game Six or Game Seven. Blah blah blah. But I did think the Clippers at home. I, I, I had them in my mind. I thought they were going to win this game. And, and how well Paul George played in game five, I thought that was going to carry over. Uh, but, dude, I mean, I'd, I'd be, I'll be honest with you, man. When you guys were down 20-plus, I'm like, okay, there it is. There's the Clippers again doing their thing where they're getting you know just within reach and then they can't close the deal. So uh, I, I, I don't have anything other, th- other than uh, happiness in my heart for this team. I, even though I am a Laker fan, I've never really held any ill will towards the Clippers. It's just been kind of like the little brother thing. That's what I, that's how I, I've always kind of approached the relationship. And I, you know, shit dude, growing up in LA, I watched plenty of Clipper games in my life. Uh, and I love, you know, Bill Walton and, uh, and, and our guy Lawler that that was my favorite broadcasting team. Uh, once chick was, was, was done and retired. And I, I, I really like Kawhi Leonard as well. Like, I, you know, I like a lot of the, the – Tyrell New was a Laker. I like Ty Lue. Like, there's all these things that happen, uh, you know, with the Clipper organization. And, I, you know, I, I was always a fan of the, um, the Blake Griffin, Chris Paul. You know, that, w- that was a very fun team to watch. I enjoyed watching that team. So it's not – I didn't want you to lose. I really wanted you, Utah to lose because I was really looking forward to a Clippers-Suns uh, Western Conference Finals. And of course, you know, the only thing that I was hoping for this whole season was that injuries wouldn't and, you know, this shit wouldn't come into play. And of course, now we're out that maybe the arguably the two best players for either team may not play at all in the series, which is a real possibility. Um, and so, yeah, man, I, it, it sucks that we are looking at the potential of not having Chris Paul and Kawhi involved in the Western Conference finals. <laughs> uh, but I, I was definitely pulling for the Clippers last night. Um I didn't win my bet, but that was part of the reason. Um, but yeah, man, it, I, I have no ill will towards this Clipper team. I will tell you, I think I would like whichever team to advance out of this series between the Clippers and the Suns to be the healthiest team. So more than like, am I pulling for the Clippers? Am I pulling for, I want the team that's going to be able to put all their guys on the fucking court for the finals against whoever's going to be coming out of the East, because I think that'll be the best, the best series that we'll get. Right. Cause if you guys limp into the fucking finals and you don't have Kawhi at all, and he's not available in the finals, that's going to be a fucking yeah, but everybody's worse than, 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 than having him on the court. Everybody's going to be limping into the finals. Have you watched one I mean. game of Joel Embiid? Like me and you have said on this show, like I, I think this guy. First, I want to. I want to. Let's talk about Philly, because one thing that came to my brain watching Joel Embiid be on the floor as much as he was this as this series. I'm going to take it way back to '93 with the Clippers. There was a player that we had named Harold uh, uh, Harold Ellis. Okay, he was from Morehouse, Morehouse College. He was 6'3 and wore a size 17 shoe. Okay. Clown feet. Uh, it's like Donovan. D- 
this guy was on the floor and being a ball boy, like every time he was in the game, I knew that I was going to be wiping up sweat because this dude just stayed on the floor, tripping over himself, falling on rebounds. And it's <laughs> I'm serious, man. It made, it, watching Joel Embiid made me think of Harold, uh, Harold Ellis. Shout out to Clipper Nation that even knows who Harold Ellis is. Uh, but watching Embiid play, it's, 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 it hurts me to watch him play because he is so good, but looks like, man, he's one fall away, dude, from that franchise, you know, tanking it being over for them especially with the with where the hell has ben simmons right well and then also where's Embiid in the fourth quarter right that's the other side of this is like not even though he is still out there right Um, it seems like he's scared of the moment right now which is something that was not happening this entire season yeah from your mv self-proclaimed mvp you're you're not expecting that um the homie ekram on uh ball don't stop who has a really great podcast and obviously he's all over bleacher report he's 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 very good Um, And he brought something to my attention that made complete sense. Like we talk all the time about people that have defensive, that are a defensive liability, but what about people that are an offensive liability, which is what Ben Simmons is. Right. And when you think about, damn, they could have had fucking James Harden, right. For Ben Simmons. And that's exactly what Embiid. Well, that wasn't their fault. That was Houston's fault. That was Houston's. I I agree. But as much as I, I like Ben Simmons, you're seeing that it is an offensive liability. They want to send him to the free throw line. Like if, uh, we're looking at at uh, Seth Curry, right? Like you were not expecting him. You need Ben Simmons to be your second guy, and it's just not happening. Um, but back to Embiid, real quick. As good as he's playing, Drew, it hurts to watch him play because he just looks like he is one fall away from break from tearing that knee up, dude. Do you, do you see the same thing I see? Oh, absolutely. And I, I do think uh, maybe at this point, it's, it it might be affecting him mentally more than anything else now. Uh, because you can see it when he, especially in the, in the second halves of these games, he's leaning on the fadeaways way more than he should be. Uh, and maybe it's because he doesn't want to go to the free throw line, right? He missed those two big free throws in, in game, uh, game five to, to cut it to one point. And then it was like, all right, well, that, you know, missed, he missed back-to-back free throws. He only took four free throws in, this, in game six. I mean, granted, they won the game, which was which was big, and I I still think that they're the better team, uh, which I think Do is you undeniable. Know? Do you really it's think just, so? Absolutely. I don't think so. I think I I don't think so. I absolutely. I mean, Tobias Harris and Seth Curry both had twenty four points in Game Six. Mm-hmm. So if you just go off of that right there, those guys. I mean, Tobias he should always be at that twenty something level because he really is their second option offensively. Uh, but when Seth is able to you know, light a fire from three point land, they're a completely different team, right? Like, you know, and I think it it may be very beneficial for the Sixers that Danny Green is no longer a part of the team for the moment. And, and that, that uh, calf strain came at the right time because I I'm, I'm I'm telling you right now, game six, if Danny Green's in there, he's going to go over five from three. I guarantee it. Look, Joel made the decision after the injury to play through it. And that's a decision he cannot waffle on. That's a decision that he can't be like, oh, I don't know. He, if he, he made the decision to play, then fucking play. And play your goddamn game. And if you're not going to do it, then don't play. I just think, you know, we talk a lot about Ben Simmons being um, terrible offensively. And that there's, there's no real excuse around it. But if there is one thing that would help Ben Simmons offensively, it's more space in the paint. So maybe take out Embiid and, and see if Simmons can get going to the rim and in transition. They're much, obviously with Embiid off the floor, they can run. That team can go, right, if he's, if he's sitting. But look, Embiid made the decision to play. 
I think he's playing very, very well, considering that we all know he's injured. But I think what we're dealing with in this series, both on both sides, are teams that, that have never been here before, teams that have not experienced this level of play. And, and it's just it's tight buttholes every time in the fourth quarter, both sides. It's like, oh, do you want to turn over? I'm going to turn it over. I'm going to clank one off the fucking backboard. Like it is it, it is not the highest level of basketball that we're seeing <laughs> out of this uh, out of this series. But individually, you know, Embiid has unbelievable moments. Trey Young has been fantastic. I'm on I'm, uh, on, I'm on the Trey Young bandwagon right now, Drew. I know I was on I was teeter tottering. I wasn't a big fan of his game. He's shown me a lot in these playoffs, man. Like a lot. Yes. He is a true, true talent. We're seeing again. It's like beating a dead horse. I've we're seeing these guys like Luca and Donovan and now Trey Young and um, these guys rising to the the occasion. And I think they're a really good team. Now I'm not sure if Bogdan's going to be playing in the next game, and I think that's huge for him. But guys like Gallo and Lou, like Lou's been huge for Atlanta. Trey Young has been just great, man. John Collins, who caught prop next to Kawhi's body, like John Collins caught Embiid yesterday like or two days ago that was nasty like nasty, yeah, nasty. oh yeah. boy that was nasty uh, yeah um, and then kevin herter i mean that's the other thing like you know that guy he had 17 and 11 mm. for 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 mr herter and I, I damn it they had a nickname for him um the red I, mamba no they had a great nickname for him and i completely blanked on it you didn't now. write it down in your notes drew i did not oh um, I, it, I heard it in passing as I was cooking dinner and I was like, dude, that is a great fucking nickname for him. Damn it. I, I got I have to remember it. And for, for the listeners, please reach out and, and remind me, but you know, going back to Trey young, 34 points, 12 assists, five rebounds, three steals. Uh, and he did have, you know, had four turnovers, but that happens when you have the ball a lot. Yeah. When you have the ball a lot, it's mm-hmm. going to happen. And I think that the, the, the thing with Trey is, and I do, I have to commend, you know, Nate McMillan and, you know, whoever is in his ear to tell him, like, in his first couple seasons, it just felt like he was, like, trying to go for 50 every single game. And it didn't seem like it mattered whether they won that game or lost it. He wanted to go for 50, right? And that's, I think, something that may have rubbed people the wrong way. And it certainly did me. But he is now, I think now, he has really grown in this second half of this season since that coaching change where, you know, he shot 30 times in that game. He only made 13 shots. But you can see it. He is doing his best to try and set the table. And Facilitate. I think, yeah, I think, mm-hmm. I think he is more Luka Doncic than like, you know, than like Kobe or something like that or, or AI where it's mm-hmm. like, you know, I don't really give a shit if I have two assists or, or zero assists. Um, and I, I, so yeah, he, he, the ceiling for him is it, it, all NBA. It, it, the ceiling for him is, you know, potential MVP type shit with, the, with just how smart he is. I think that's the thing. Watching him kind of break down mentally what each defensive scenario is presenting him and then him, you know, usually making the right decision, whether it's to shoot or pass or, you know, try and go for a, a layup or something, a floater um, or a lob. Like, I, I'm very impressed with Trey Young. And it started with the, the Knicks series for me in, in, in converting me. He's converting me. I think yeah. he's converting a lot of Same. people right now. Same. Um, and it's, and it, you know, if they win this fucking series, dude, 
I, there's, there can't be much else for us to, to talk about with Trey young. Um, I think he's, he's tremendous. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that the, the Hawks have built something around him that seems to be working right now. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, who knows what happens next year and who they can keep and who they can, you know, bring in or blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, John Collins, all that other shit that we can talk about, but man, that guy, I, I don't know what else to say. He, he's so good. He's just really fucking good. So we at, have two, we have, we have two game sevens coming up. Okay. We got, we got Brooklyn and Milwaukee since we're, since we're on Atlanta and Philly, who, who do you have winning uh, the final game? And then we'll, we'll get into Milwaukee and Brooklyn real quick. I think it's Philly, man. I, I do. I think it's Philly because if you, even the games that, that the Hawks have won, Philly was in control of, and they, they shot themselves in the ass. You know what I mean? Like the, they've been up multiple times in this series by 20 points and sometimes they win that game and sometimes they lose. And it just seems to, doesn't seem to matter how much the, the Sixers are up because every time in the fourth quarter, it gets down to a winnable game for, for the Hawks. Um, so look, if that repeats itself, then sure the Hawks can win because it's going to be close. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, I do believe that the, the Sixers have a better team. Um, and if Embiid, can just be his normal self and stop shooting fadeaways and just, you know, get to the free throw line. He's an 84% fucking free throw shooter. I don't know why he's shying away from the line. He was getting there 13 times a game and all of a sudden, you know, that's changed. So I, I, I am going to take Philly because I think they're better. And I think they, you know, Embiid is the best player on the court, it, it, not necessarily better or more skilled than Trey, but certainly the most impactful player in this series is Joel Embiid. So look, the Sixers will need Tobias and Seth, to, to play well offensively in order for them to win game seven. Uh, and I think that will happen. I think they're going to win it. They're at home. Uh, they're, they should handle business against these Hawks, even though they probably should have won it in five. They're going to end up winning it in seven and they're going to play. Um, the Nets is who I'm going to take in the, in, in the other game seven. I got, so I got Trey uh, with a huge game, game seven. He loves playing on the road. I think he's completely embraced the villain role. I'm taking Trey and the Hawks to pull this one out. And for, for some underlying issue, like I do want to see Doc lose. And that's so rude of me. That is so rude of me. I, for, for whatever reason I do. And that's so unclipper like of me, but I, I would really like to see it. Um, and then we're going to get into game seven, uh, Brooklyn, Milwaukee. Like, look, I think it's a toss up. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Like seeing the game that Middleton had the other night, um, you, you already know how much I hate the Bucks offense like it's just disgusting to me I can't stand watching them play I can't stand seeing Giannis shoot threes and same thing you were saying about Embiid like I don't need Giannis to do this Dirk fadeaway anymore I don't need him to dribble as fast as he can into the paint and then back it up three steps and then dribble it back in like a freaking freight train every single time either trying to get the bucket or trying to get this layup I hate it I hate it I think they're going to need a huge game from Middleton which he had um and I'm going to need something from Giannis, but I think it all, we saw what was happening with Harden, right? Like Harden shouldn't even be out there playing. He has absolutely no explosiveness. All he's trying to do is get that step back three fall on the ground. Hopefully that you get this four point play from him right now. Um, I think they totally need Harden to win this game, or they're going to need this another epic performance from Kevin Durant um, with another 50 piece, 45 piece from them for them to win it. And I, I don't know how bad Kyrie's ankle is. I don't know when he's going to be back. I don't know what you've heard, um, but it's obvious that whether it's 
Harden's going into game seven or into the Eastern Conference finals, he's going to be going in with a certain type of injury. And if Kevin Durant's going to have to play 48 minutes throughout the rest of this, you know, this series and then going on to the Eastern Conference finals, I'm not necessarily sure that they can pull that out, man. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, I mean, I guess, you know, the, the, the thing that we should dis- discuss is, is that 49-point performance by Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, as amazing as Kevin Durant was, Jeff Green carried that team for the first three quarters of that game, especially in the Uncle first Jeff. Uncle Jeff mm-hmm. was just lights out, right? And so, look, Kevin goes for – it's funny, man, because we – you know, I, on, the, on the previous pod, I said Kevin Durant can go for 50. We're not stupid. And then, of course, he does it and misses a free throw to, to, right. to, to go for 50 in the, in the end of the game. Um, but what I also said was that he can't just do that. That's not enough. I mean, 50 is great and all of the things, I mean, whatever, 16, 17 rebounds, uh, 10 assists, all, he did everything in that game. But then, you know, in game six, Jeff Green's not hitting those same threes. He's not going for 27. And then you're looking around, you go, uh-oh, Joe Harris, uh, I think he's... Where, where have you been, Joe? I, he starts start shooting left-handed, I think, buddy, because that right hand is just bricking shit. Do you know him and Ben Simmons are shooting the same percentage right now? Oh, my God. How, are you how, serious? Yeah, bro. How, how atrocious is that? Right. That's a nightmare. That's the nightmare, right? That's where Steve Nash goes, okay, we know Harden, no Kyrie. Maybe Joe can hit some open threes. No, no, no not, not happening. happening. Uh, but I, I will say, you know, uh, Harris is percentage this season was largely based on the fact that he was catching and shooting open threes and that's not been the case for him I think the Bucks are doing a decent job of making him move mm-hmm. and and dribble and create his own shot yeah and do things that he's not as comfortable with um, so I do think that's why even though in in uh, game five Harden like scored like four points his presence on the court was very important for mm-hmm. that team and it helped Jeff Green get open shots and even though Joe Harris didn't make any he got some open looks with Harden on the court um, so even though uh, the reason I'm picking the Nets is is because of the ineptitude <laughs> of the Bucks to be able to score efficiently um, and and because you know as good as PJ Tucker has been on on Kevin Durant they just nobody nobody has anything to, to offer <laughs> defensively Kevin Durant other than PJ no Giannis he, needs to take Kevin Durant that's just what needs to happen well, and I'm it, so, he it should be it should be rotating PJ and, and Giannis constantly. I agree rotating PJ and Giannis and nobody else should see Kevin other than those two guys you can't you can't be hiding on defense Giannis you're a defensive player of the year like you you, you can't hide on defense especially in these moments. We need you. You you know, the Bucks need you to play 48 minutes and to guard the other guy's best player, which is Kevin Durant. And you're the only guy on that team that's going to give him any. If you can give uh, Kevin Durant any kind of problems, it's going to be Giannis. That's literally the only guy that can give this guy problems. Um, but he has to step up to the occasion and take that challenge. Man, PJ is give, giving everything he can. Like this, this guy's been guarding Kevin Durant his whole career. You know, I don't know if you heard this, but like PJ was – Kevin Durant's like big bro sponsor when he came to Texas. So like they've been homies for a long time. And the one thing I love about PJ is he wants to guard the best guy, even though he's going to get cooked. Like Kevin Durant's going to cook you. It doesn't matter if you're PJ Tucker or any other really good defensive player, but you have to put length on this guy. That's the only thing that I think is going to deter Kevin Durant from dropping 50 on you. Yeah. I think the physicality of PJ does affect Kevin Durant. You can see it when when KD gets frustrated on the court. That is a win for the opposing team. If he gets frustrated, that is you're you're doing something right, right? If he's out there just kind of like having you know just kind of smooth, 
not really complaining, not talking a lot. He doesn't talk a whole lot, but when he gets frustrated and PJ's all up in his ass and he's just like pushing him around and he's complaining to the refs, I think that's a win for the Bucs. Uh, it doesn't necessarily, you know, mean the Bucks will win the game, but I think that's something that that's the, the only thing that you can hope to do against Kevin Durant is just just fucking get him out of his comfort zone just a little bit. And he's still so good, you know, he's, he makes the shots most of the time anyway. But the reason I'm picking the Nets is because I expect Kevin to be there, you know, dropping 30, 40, whatever it is. I expect James Harden to be a little bit better than he has been in the last two games. He's, you know, he was terrible <laughs> offensively, uh, shooting-wise. He was terrible in game five. He got a little bit better in game six. I expect him to get a little bit better in game seven, even though he doesn't have any push. He has no lift. He doesn't have any of that. I mean, it was it was, it was was glaring in that, that fast break where he stole the ball, and he was like, oh, cool, I'm going to get a dunk. Whoa. He pulled I it back. Yeah, I can't run. I can't. I can't sprint. And, and when um, you and have that, when that hammy, it makes it really hard to do that euro too. Like his whole game is that, right? And and so more than that, I, I expect somebody to step up for the Nets, and maybe it's Joe Harris because it it's at home, right? Or no, it's it is it in Milwaukee? No, it's in it's in Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Yeah. So okay. So Brooklyn's at home. I think Joe Harris will make at least a couple threes. You gotta. You have to assume that he's gonna make one eventually, one or two, right? Um, so I'm assuming offensively someone else will step up and and at least provide Durant with the support that he needs to carry them offensively and then the reason I'm also choosing the Nets is because Budenholzer is a terrible adjustment coach going on with this guy he's a terrible adjustment coach and and the fact that especially in game five that he couldn't make the adjustment to attack James Harden whoever the fuck it was that was that James Harden was guarding give them the ball please and don't post him up Bring him out and make him move his legs. Don't right. don't give the guy the ball and then be like, "Oh, go post up James Harden, who's like 270 pounds right now, because he can't he can't do any calisthenics." The guy looks he, he's he's so big, he's just mm-hmm. so chunky right now. Um, so I just I think I think Budenholzer, um, similar to Quinn Snyder, is going to go down with the ship here. Mm-hmm. I think he doesn't have the adjustments. We've seen it every fucking year that he's, you know, bringing this team. It's like, oh, maybe it's the Bucks year. And then, no, they fall short. I, I do think that's going to continue this year because I don't think he has the uh, – maybe it's, maybe it's him, maybe it's his coaching staff. I don't know. But the, he doesn't seem to have the adjustments ready to go, and especially in-game adjustments. I think he's, he does better with, with time and prepares and, you know, maybe switches some things here and there. But in the game – he never, he never seems to make the right adjustments. So I do think I expect Giannis to be Giannis, right? Mm-hmm. Go for 30 and 15 or something like that. But if Middleton and, and Drew Holiday do not have stellar offensive performances, we're going to see another tired, like Bucks same offense that we've been talking about in the fourth quarter. And I don't think they're going to be able to pull it out. If, as long as the Nets are close in the fourth quarter, if not leading, I will be very confident in their ability to pull that game out. Um, but it will, it, it will, it will take something special from Kevin Durant. So that, and that's what I expect. I expect him to, to kind of rise to the challenge. Well, he's been in this situation before, you know, and I just think it's going to take the bucks laying it all out there for this game. Like if you want to be in the finals, if you want to save your coach's job, cause if they don't make it, if they don't win this game, if they don't make it to the Eastern fired. conference finals, yeah, you're fired. And, and the thing is, is it's glaring. Like, average casual NBA fans can see that there's a, there's a problem there. I'm, I'm me and you aren't saying anything that nobody else can see. Like the offense is, is atrocious and they've won a couple of these games, but it's just, there's no sets being run at all. Zero. And you know, there has to be a point, even though Giannis is your franchise player, like you have to be a coach and pull the dude aside and be like, look, bro, 
We don't need you shooting threes at all. What, what Brooklyn wants you to be doing is shooting threes. So I'm with you on that. I want to see the adjustment. I want Giannis to lay it all out there. And he will. He does every single game. He tries his best. Yeah, he, he plays really hard. He plays very hard. I totally agree with you. We definitely need to see. I don't I don't necessarily think that that Middleton needs to have another 40 piece. I do want to see something from from Drew, right? We got to see something from from Drew, from Pat. You know, everybody needs to step up. I'm personally going with the Bucks winning this game. I do think that they can win this game just, you know, with the injuries that are going on um with Brooklyn and what that means moving forward, going into the finals, like Kevin Durant is coming off the the worst injury, you know, a basketball player can have and playing this guy 48 minutes a night and just riding it until the wheels fall off is going to catch up at some point, right? It's got to, it's got to catch up at some point. And if you don't have Harden or Kyrie at a hundred percent, I think it's going to be difficult for them to win an NBA championship. I agree. Like, yeah, moving, moving beyond the series, Kyrie and, and Harden have to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, you know. Let's just say that they they get they get through this series, and then they're going to face Philly or Atlanta. Either one of those teams is going to be a challenge if it's just Kevin Durant out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I agree with that entirely. You know, if they're going to and and you know, I my my confidence, of course, after the first two games and and seeing the way that Blake Griffin has played in those two games, he has not matched that level of performance after Game One. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you, you you can see it. They they absolutely need at least one of those guys to be healthy and not just Harden jogging out there on one leg. They need, they need one of those guys along with Kevin Durant to be fully healthy. And I think the hope with Kyrie is that, you know, if they can get past this series, maybe in the Western conference finals, he can, he can get there, but dude, that ankle was, that was brutal, man. Yeah, Don't you, don't you think no matter what, whether, whether Kyrie comes back or Harden continues to play, they're still going to be hampered. It's still like hamstring injuries just don't go away. If you have to continue to play. I mean, look, if Brooklyn pulls this out today, they're playing on Monday, right? Then you're right. going into, you're going in or Tuesday, depending on because Philly plays tomorrow. Correct. Uh, yeah, have to, the, the game sevens tomorrow. Yeah. Game sevens tomorrow for them, which is Sunday. So then game one will probably be Tuesday for the Eastern conference finals. And then you're just, it's not like you're going to wake up one morning and Kyrie's going to be like, Hey, my ankle is perfectly fine. I'm hundred percent. They're not going to be hundred percent going m- moving forward throughout this series or anything after that. And again, that, that goes for Joel Embiid as well. That goes for, you know, Kawhi Leonard. That's going to go for, I mean, Chris Paul's not injured though. Chris Paul's in COVID. If anything, they're the healthiest team going into the, the Western or East Eastern conference finals. They are the healthiest team. Um, do you, what are your final thoughts today? I know we got to wrap this up here and we're doing our segment of final thoughts. Drew, what are your final thoughts for this show for the next man up podcast today? <laughs> uh, well, the first one is short. I have, I have like one, a one B and okay. the first one's short. It's going to be, uh, it's going to make you smile. Okay. Uh, but at the beginning of this year, um, under a little bit of scrutiny, I said that Nicholas Batum had the chance to be the best signing of the season for the for any NBA team. And I think that's true. So I'm just going to kind of pat oh, myself on the back. Oh, because okay. that guy, you guys paid him, you paid him like no money. Nothing. And he's, I, you know, he hasn't been, he hasn't been dropping you know, 20 or 30, but his play and his presence on the court has been vital to the Clippers. Totally so that's, agree. That's one A. One B. Is this is, patting uh, you? Are you patting yourself on the back for one B too, or no? Uh, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. But one okay. B is, uh, is, Hey, don't fire your good coach in hopes to find like a quote unquote better fit. And what I'm talking about is Indiana and new Orleans, Alvin Gentry, <laughs> Nate McMillan, 
those guys probably would have done at least as good, if not better, as head coaches staying with the same coach. So now, you know, Van Gundy's fired after one year for Zion's third coach, Zion's third coach. Right. Mm -hmm. And now he's unhappy, of course. Like, why would he be happy? No, no, he's not. It's his family's unhappy. And I I didn't know his family was playing. I didn't, I really didn't know that. Also, like how, how many family members does he have? Like were some, some of the family is, I hate that. I hate it. Jeez. How many family members does Zion have? Everyone's got their hand out already, I guess. Um, And then, you know, with the Pacers, McMillan has this, the other team that he's coaching in the fucking (laughs) semifinals of the Eastern conference. So, um, that, that was the big point. It's like, yes, I understand sometimes you need a change. Sometimes you reach a stage like where Terry Stotts, sometimes you, it, that one to me makes some sense. Terry you tried Stotts, your he, best. You tried yeah, your he, best. He had a lot of years to try and do everything. I think they gave him a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And I suppose the same could be said about Nick McMillan. He had a long time in, in Indiana and it wasn't really working out there fine. But to, to let him go and then bring in two kind of wild cards that hadn't one who would never coach head coach in the NBA and, and Bjorkren, who's now never going to get another job. Well, and Gundy, who should just retire at this point or just work for ESPN because the game has changed since he was a good coach. So yeah, that was my, that's my final thought is, is maybe take a second, take a deep fucking breath mm-hmm. or you fire your pretty good solid head coach and go out there and, and just try and change everything at the drop of a hat without having a real backup plan or an actual plan <laughs> uh, uh, to, to match it. And, and, and then I'll leave it with this, right? So Portland, New Orleans, Indiana, Orlando, Celtics, Dallas, Dallas. All, need, all need new coaches. Uh, I would love to see D'Antoni in New Orleans. That's what I was hoping for at the beginning of this offseason when they made the change. I'd love to see that. Or in Portland. I would like D'Antoni to go to one of those two places. Um, I think it could be fun for him to go to Dallas too, if they wanted to really run and gun and like redo the, the Houston Harden thing with Donchitz. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think Pelicans would be my favorite. Um, and then Pacers or Wizards, uh, Wizards, another team that, that <laughs> got rid of a coach. Uh, Pacers or Wizards, I think Terry Stotts would do a good job at either of those places. Um, uh, just a completely different look for both of those two squads. And I then think, I think I think Sam Cassell or Chauncey Billups should take either the Celtics or Portland or Orlando job. I think those two guys probably deserve a shot, especially if you're Orlando. If you're Orlando, get Billups or or Cassell in there and see if they can, you know, provide some wisdom and some leadership for these young guys, and then and then you know change some shit up and and see if they can do something there with those two squads. That's that that's my final thoughts. I think Orlando would be great for a new coach like Chauncey or Sam Cassell. They definitely deserve that. I think with the Celtics, it'd be a better fit for a guy like Carlisle, like who's got the pedigree and like, you know, has been to a championship and can deal with, you know, personalities. I'm not too sure like why he left Dallas though. I didn't get a reason, especially when you have such a bright future with a superstar, maybe it was, I mean, there has been mumbles about, you know, Luca not being happy, of course. And their, their, their main priority is to, you know, get, get Luca to get that super max and stay with the team as long as you possibly can. I'm a little confused. I don't know enough about that whole situation, but that was a little surprising to me. And if, and if car, if Carlisle is going to retire mm-hmm. and not coach again, okay, maybe it makes sense, mm-hmm. but if he's going to jump ship and then immediately take another coaching job somewhere else, then that that's a lot of question marks right there. Why would you ever leave the situation where right. you probably have the best young player in the game? Uh, that to me, it, it's a lot of red flags. If he goes, yeah, I'm going to go coach Boston now. If, if he doesn't take like a full break because mm-hmm. he's been coaching for a, a long fucking time in the league. And so maybe mm-hmm. he's just like, you know what? 
I just need a breather. I don't want to coach anymore for a second. Okay, that makes sense. But if he's going to jump ship and coach one of these other teams that needs a head coach, Mm -hmm. by the way, he'll have the pick of the litter. I think he's the best available coach right now. I think hands down. Uh, So if any team, if he wants to go anywhere, I think any team would just be like, cool, like, let's do that. Uh, But I think that would be a a very interesting and, and troublesome thing for the for the Mavericks if he leaves and immediately joins another team well Carlisle left and then you know Cuban appointed Dirk and Finley to be like intricate roles in the front office for dealing with the players they're really trying to make Luca as happy as possible man and I guess there's an the assistant coach that's on Dallas's bench I'm not Mosley Mosley who's like who's like his BFF like Luca loves this guy he's his workout partner maybe that guy's gonna get the look because Luca wants it I think they're trying to cater to whatever Luca wants and you know what dude I think you should like you have to make this guy happy and comfortable there but you're also gonna have to bring in some more talent around him and if you can get that piece for Porzingis which I don't even want to talk about Porzingis anymore because it's not even worth talking about but you got to bring in some more pieces to surround Luca with uh, that's going to be the most intricate part of keeping that man happy is is bringing some more talent and I think he I think he will get the talent if uh, like Dallas people want to play with Luca you know what I mean like they would wouldn't mind maybe playing with Luka. maybe you're right you maybe you know you're right dude it could be a hardened situation where it's like you know, he's ball dominant and I'm not going to get the looks I might, I might get somewhere else. It, it could, it could kind of be like a Kobe thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like we could be seeing like young Kobe thing happening with Luca mm-hmm. where Kobe in the beginning was not, he, no, like, I don't want Porzingis. I don't want, I just give me the ball 40 times. I want 40 shots. That's what I want. And there's a chance that Luca wants that. Uh, but I do, I agree with you. I think I'm leaning more towards the fact that he just wants a better team around him. Mm-hmm. And he wants Porzingis gone. I think that's. I think those are the two things that will probably happen <laughs> as we move into the next season. Hey, I know this is a little off topic. Before I get into my final thoughts, but did did you see that? You know, Dennis Schroeder and and Kuzma took took the Lakers off their profile, off their bio. What do you think about that, bro? Did that rub you the wrong way? Do you care? No, everyone's on the table, bro. <laughs> everyone's on the table. Everybody's on the table. I I will say this, and I said it when we talked about the Lakers, whatever that was, a couple pods ago. I'd rather keep uh, Schroeder and Kuzma than Drummond. Um, I, you know, we gave Drummond a real hard look this year, and I think we really know what he is. We we got to see what he is, and and we got to see him play alongside AD and without Anthony Davis and with LeBron. And yeah, he's a serviceable center, and I I think he can do fine for the Lakers. But I'm I am completely terrified of us being like, here's the max deal. And I just I, I I would not be opposed to having Drummond on the team, but not for max money. He cannot be making thirty million dollars a year. It, it it would completely handcuff us uh, to a guy that does not deserve to be making that that amount of money. So look, Schroeder, Kuz, unfortunately for me, my favorite one of my favorites, Caruso and THT. Like everybody is on the block except for LeBron and Anthony Davis, and I think that's okay when we have. You know, when we have a season the way that it went this year, okay, let's let's look elsewhere, and and I'm okay with it. I, I it's weird, but I, you know, in, in the early years, I did not trust Rob Polinka, uh, but I do have a little bit more faith in him. This, you know, these these last two years, I think he's done pretty good things for us, and I don't really want to blame him for the way that this season went. Uh, and I think he actually, you know, with his connections, I think he could be bringing something special to us. Um, and if it means letting uh, Kuzma go and all those other guys that I mentioned, then so be it. 
let's not forget that is a clutch sports run team and Ben Simmons is a clutch sports guy and there he might be on the trading block or up up for deals after this. Fuck, please not Ben Simmons. I'm just saying I'm, I'm just I just we just need I, I I my prayers continue to be for a shooter. Please God. We've been praying shooter. for this for a while now. Just shooters. One one fucking shooter. Give one. me a, yeah, you want Clarkson back, right? Fucking where's no, Tim Hardaway? That. I don't want him. <laughs> I want a shooter. Where's Tim Hardaway Jr.? Give me Joe Ingles. (laughs) Drew wants to trade the team for Joe Ingles. Hey, final thoughts for me. And this one's going to be for for all of Clipper Nation. This this one's for you guys, okay? Talk your shit today, Clipper Nation. Stand on the rooftop and talk your shit because we deserve it, all right? I want to give a shout out to, like, the OGs, the guys that have been like as long as I've been around, the guys that I respect a lot. And I want to shout out Section 114. I want to shout out the Chu family, my boy Ernie, Air Mag, all the guys that have been following me and been diehard Clipper Nations. I respect you guys. I love you guys. And today's our day, man. Okay. No matter what anybody else says, we've, we're now finally where we've always wanted to be. Chris Paul couldn't get us there. Blake Griffin couldn't get us there. Doc Rivers couldn't get us there. This team got there. So talk your shit, drink your drink like I'm about to do because I'm celebrating, Drew. I'm extremely happy. And again, I'm say, I'm a grown-ass man, and I cried. I cried last night, tears of happiness, and I cried in my truck this morning watching the video that I put together last night for our page. It means so much to me, man. Like, people, people can be fans, and you've known me long enough, bro. This is not just a fandom for me. This is my life. This team is my heart. Like I have been through so much shit with these guys. And I know there's people listening to this show that can, that feel the same way, man. I'm tearing up just saying it right now. This meant so much to me that these guys showed up for us and won this shit back against the wall. We did it. We're in the Western conference finals. And to say that we don't have a chance to win a championship, even without Kawhi, we can fucking do this, yo, we can do it. So again, Call that Laker fan that's been talking shit to you for 20 years. Hit him up. Just send him a smiley emoji, all right? Because, again, I got a list right here, people. You're going to get a direct message from Clips today. And another thing, Drew, let me continue to the talking heads, too. Nick Wright and Chris Broussard and Jalen and and, and Jay Williams. I see all you guys. I know I said it earlier on the show, but have that same energy with all that shit you were talking earlier. And you know what? These guys are probably going to be our peers one day and coworkers one day. So I'm sorry if Nick Wright, you look this up and you see that I'm calling you out, but I am. I'm tired of the clickbait shit. Everybody wants to have, I know you wanted us to lose so bad. I know you guys don't want to see the Clippers in the Western Conference Finals. I know you don't. And I know it's really hard for you to say that the Clippers can win a championship this year, but I'm saying it. Clipper Nation, talk your shit. Cheers. Pour out one for the homies. Put one in the air. Whatever it takes, man. Clipper fucking nation. It's the follow through with Clips and Drew. Ghost. You know what it is. You know what it is. You know where you're at. This is the follow through.